Welcome to The Partial Historians. We explore all the details of ancient Rome. Everything from political scandals to love affairs, the battles waged and when citizens turn against each other. I'm Dr. Rad. And I'm Dr. G. We consider Rome as the Romans saw it by reading different ancient authors and comparing their accounts. Join us as we trace the journey of Rome from the founding of the city. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Partial Historians. I am one of your hosts, Dr. G. And I am your other host, Dr. Rad. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, one and all. We are tracing Rome's history from the foundation of the city. And it's exciting times. It's been exciting times for a while. It's always an exciting episode when we return to Rome, I think. I think so. So the last time, Dr. G, we were in the midst of 420 BCE. Oh, it was a great year. It was a great year because we actually got to talk about a woman. It has been so long since we mentioned a woman. Been going through a real dry patch with ladies. <laughs> Which is not something you want to hear. No, no. no. As a lady, that is not, not a great status quo. So yeah. we touched on the life and times of the Vestal Virgin Postumia. We did. And she got herself into a little bit of trouble for having a sense of humour and a sense of style. Well, I mean, if they're not a criminal offence, I don't know what is. With the danger of live burial on the table, I think she changed her tune and adjusted her behaviour. It seems like she backed down once she realised just how seriously the Romans took this kind of behaviour. It's tough. <laughs> Imagine how, trying to have a personality uh, in ancient Rome. It's not what being a vessel's about. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily she did escape live burial. I mean, that was my real concern, that she was actually going to be buried alive for her raunchy dressing and her <laughs> jokes. <laughs> yeah, tragic times, tragic times. But no, all is safe and well. Postumia goes on to live. So she's presumably still alive as we run into the year that was 419 BCE. I know, I know. We've also got obviously a bit of a patrician Plopian drama that's been happening in that we also had the trial of Sempronius. Yes, well, that's what happens when you run away from a battle. Well, this is the thing, right? Our sources, as we discovered last week, made out like the tribunes were attacking him because they wanted to vent their rage against his family and they couldn't vent it against the person who they felt actually deserved it at that point in time, who was allegedly someone arranging fake elections and, and not allowing the plebeians to get through. And so they decided to target the other Sempronius, Gaius Sempronius, our military general from a few years before, but if you actually think about it, he deserved to be prosecuted <laughs> because he had done a terrible job. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, look, 420, what a time. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, lots of legal action, really. So we really need to insert the... Dum -dum. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see what you did there. Mm. Or I heard what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, but that's... Um, so, yeah, it was really all about the, the legal stuff in 420. But now I think we're probably ready to move into 419 BC. Now, let me guess, let me guess, you don't have any material from Dionysius of Halicarnassus. Oh, I'll on that front, you'll be mistaken. <gasps> Get out of town. <laughs> uh, it's not that I have a lot of sources, though, and it's not like I have a lot of Dionysius of Halicarnassus. Okay. But let's start with our main players for this year. Let's do it. Now, I think very excitingly, we have military tribunes with consular power. 
We do. And we've got four of them. Let me introduce you to our cast of illustrious gentlemen. Please do. We have Agrippa Menenius Lanatus. Previously, apparently, console in 439. It was a long time ago You can ago remember now. that long ago. That was, what, five years ago now? <laughs> Notable <Yeah. laughs> for the issue with Spurious Malleus. Ooh, okay, yes. I am remembering this guy now. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. So How could I forget 439? <laughs> <laughs> it was a big year. It was a big year. Yeah. We also have Publius Lucretius Hosti Tripitolinus. Bloody hell, what a name. Try. Kipitolinus. <laughs> I I have uh, another version which is uh, I think Trichipitinus. Ooh. Yeah, I know, but who knows? I think basically we can say that three is a part of that name. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can, and there are too many eyes for me as an English speaker to be able to yeah. handle. Yeah, too many. That's why I struggle with Italian as well. <laughs> <laughs> this guy seems to be new. No mention of him in previous. I years. think we'd remember that many syllables. Oh, look, I'd have trouble every single time as mm, well. Yeah. I keep tri- tripping over his name. <laughs> Third off the ranks is Spurious Nautius Rutilus. Yep, yep. Also new. I remember I remember Nautius, though, before. I feel like I've heard that. Yeah, I like Spurious Nautius. I feel like that's the nice companion to Spurious Furious. Yeah, Spurious Nautius <laughs> is just a little bit camp. Yeah, <laughs> he goes to all the parties. He's like, oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of man you want to be friends exactly, with. Exactly, exactly. And last but definitely not least, mm. Gaius Servilius Auxilla. Ooh, now that is an unusual name, but again, I feel like we have maybe come across that before. We have. Yeah. Previously console in 427. There you go. And is about to start a really stellar hat trick as military tribune with consular power. This is the year that it begins. Okay. So that's some foreshadowing for everybody. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm, I'd like to start with a quote, if I may. Oh, unless you have any more magistrates. No, no, no I didn't that's think so. it. I didn't think so. You just looked at me like, wait, there are more magistrates. And I was like, are there? <laughs> Did no. I miss it? <laughs> no, there is only four. Okay. So my translation of Livy has a great sentence, I think, for kicking off 419 BCE. It was a year remarkable, thanks to the good fortune of the Roman people, for a great danger, but not a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Livy mm. setting up that sense of suspense and mystery really early on. Yeah, but also letting you know that it's going to be okay, I think, like in the grand scheme of things. Phew. Okay for whom, though? I feel like Livy is a bit pro-patrician, really. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think he would be correct in that. Mm. Mm. Uh, so, I do have a bit of a story about some slaves, Dr. G. Should I tell it to oh, you or do I, you have I some... I would love that. Okay. So... What Livy, I think, is referring to here is that we actually have a bit of a conspiracy from below. Oh, no, not conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. So the slaves have this plot, and it's just the slaves. Like, I presume that means every single slave, but obviously why get into specifics when it's coming to the lower classes? Uh, They have a plot to set Rome on fire from various points. Now, that's not because they're actually trying to set Rome on fire. Stay with me here. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is an accidental side part it to really the conspiracy. Is, yeah. The idea is that the fires are a mere distraction, Dr. G. Mm. Because the idea is that the Roman citizens would therefore be sort of pulled in different directions all over the city and kind of to the outskirts of the city because this is where the fires would be happening. They'd be trying to save their houses. <laughs> Whilst they're trying to put out the fire, the slaves would be taking over control of the citadel and the capital using an armed force. <laughs> it's an evil plan. Wow, that's very exciting. Mm. Okay, all right. I, I'm i not sure how to necessarily feel about that. There is some correlation Ooh. in Dionysius of Halicarnassus. Really? My man's back. Okay. For... One show only. <laughs> well, I have two more details to tell you about that. Should I tell you about it? Yeah, before? Okay, go for all it. right. So, as Livy alluded to, this is a great danger to the city, but it did not end in disaster because Jupiter was looking out for his people. 
That's right. Jupiter made sure that the Romans did not suffer and the slaves did not succeed. Now, he then tells me that there is evidence gathered from some of the participants of this plot. So a couple of the slaves basically informed on what was happening and it allowed everybody else to be arrested, rounded up, interrogated and punished. Class traitors. No. <laughs> yeah, well, I, okay, this is where it gets really interesting. He actually says that the informants were given 10,000 pounds of bronze and their freedom. Wow. Yeah, no, which I actually, I didn't think that the slaves would actually be treated that generously. I kind of thought that the Romans would see that as just something that they should do because, you know, they owed it to their masters. Like maybe freedom, maybe manumission, sure. But giving them, yeah, money, I, I wouldn't have actually seen that coming. And Livy's actually even a bit dismissive about the amount he's <laughs> that given. He said, this passed for wealth back then. <laughs> A pittance now. <laughs> Ouch. I think it's one of those things where... Presumably what the patricians are attempting to uh, encourage here mm. is for more slaves to come forward True. more often yes. before these sorts of conspiracies really get off the ground. True. And I mean, you know, if this is anything to go by, it's working for them. <laughs> We've set the precedent and now we'll see how we go. And I feel like this is really intriguing. I mean, what a... What a treat for us in a sense, because last episode we got to talk about a woman. We haven't been able to do that for a while. Now we're able to talk about slavery because we haven't really talked about slaves very much. Yeah, enslaved people don't tend to get a lot of currency in our source material at this point in time. No. But the ancient world is really foundationally built on the exploitation of human labour. Yeah. And there's no doubt that it's, well, maybe there is doubt. It seems reasonable mm. that the Roman population may even be outnumbered by enslaved people at this point in time. It's, it's so hard it's to figure hard out, to isn't know. it? Yeah, because generally we associate slavery and Rome, I think, in that period when the Romans are truly taking part in these sort of large-scale wars of conquest. Mm. Now, lately, even though we have seen the Romans taking part in a lot of warfare, as we've talked about with our expansion scores, it's not really about adding territory, you know, of late. Like, there's been the odd time when they've added a bit of territory in, like, the last hundred years that we've talked about. But generally, it's been more about, you know, either putting those people in their place or defending Rome from an attack. It hasn't really been about adding territory. So they're not really, you know, expanding their control right now Certainly, you know, nowhere near on the scale that they're going to in the, well, I say they're not too distant future, but God knows, it's probably 10 years Hundreds and <laughs> hundreds of years from now. <laughs> um, and, the, and, and that's, I think, when we tend to think of them having slaves, because obviously one of the easier ways to get slaves is to conquer a place and take the people that have managed to survive the conflict and make them your slave population. I think the important part here is... As you know, we're dealing with things that are very close to home geographically. True. So the slaves that are currently in Rome at this point in time, mm. these are all people from the surrounding areas. They're all Italic peoples yep. or Etruscans. And that's just going to continue to expand as Rome continues its expansion. Yeah. But it's not a sure bet for Rome at this point in time. That's pretty clear. For sure. And, I mean, the thing is as well – you have to assume that the slave population is being fed through other avenues. I mean, it's so hard to know because we really don't have much information on slavery in this time period. A lot of what we think we know about slavery comes from later time periods. But obviously, you could become enslaved through debt. We talked about that. That's obviously one of the things that concern the Romans themselves in that, you know, debt bondage and then also being sold into slavery because of debts is a huge it has been a huge issue at various points. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. And we also have seen them capturing out and about. And so there might be like prisoner exchange and things like definitely, that going yeah. on yeah. a lot. But there is also definitely enslavement of people. When cities sort of stand up to Rome for too long, yep. Rome gets jack of that. They've raised the city and they take people as definitely. slaves. Yeah, we've definitely had mention of that. And then, of course, we can't rule out the possibility that even at this early time period, you have maybe parents giving up children that they can't support. You know, if you have too many children, then you could potentially 
expose them. And I don't mean that you're necessarily thinking that they're going to die from exposure, but as in they might be left for people to take. And that's one way of also getting slaves. I think it's a less common way of doing it, but it is a possibility. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that we've got good evidence in this time period. We definitely for that don't sort for this behavior. time period. Yeah. Um, but for later on, we do have some evidence that that happened. And so it's like, well, maybe that's what's happening some of the time here. We don't really know. Yeah. Bring out your children. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah Have it, they misbehaved this week? <laughs> Are you at your wit's end? Get a great price on the open market. <laughs> They're free. <laughs> Please, just take them. <laughs> just take them. I can't <laughs> handle it anymore. Yeah. Uh, we are not suggesting by any means no. that you should enslave your children. No. Um, so Dionysus of Halicarnassus has a lot of parallels. I've got one fragment mm-hmm. from book 12, uh, part 6. Yeah. Sections five to seven. Mm-hmm. He talks about three of the military tribunes with consular power being involved in the discovery of the plot. Ooh. Yes. So it seems that it comes to their attention, it comes mm. to, to the highest magistracy, and that it is being led by a commonwealth of slaves. So there's some sort of like, you know, class unity going on. Yeah. Get the together. Commonwealth of slaves. Yes. Get together. Look mm. after your brothers yeah. uh, and sisters. <laughs> and this idea of uh, planning to set fires across the city. Yeah. Definite parallel with the aim ultimately of, as you say, seizing the capital. Mm. And if they can do that, that is a sense in which Rome falls at that point. Yes. Like they, they are in a position of power. They're on the biggest hill. It's the defensive structure par excellence since the beginning of the Republic. It's the one that everybody cares about. Yeah, well, so if you can take the capital and the citadel that's on that hill, more power to you. Rome's yours. Well, we have seen that before, not by slaves per se, but remember when we had that there sneak was, invasion? I was going to yeah, say the Etruscans yeah. did a sneak invasion yeah. where they were like, we're just going to cross this little bridge here and huzzah, we're on the capital. Yeah. And Rome fights back and they manage to win the day in the end. Mm. But that was a while back now and they haven't really had this sort of problem for a while. So this would be this would be amazing if the enslaved uh, uh, alliance <laughs> could pull this off. They, they don't seem to though. No, it's sad. Now, the thing that struck me as really quite interesting Mm. about this, like in addition, I've got this idea of there are two informants. Yeah. And they win their freedom as a result of informing against their uh, comrades. And they also receive a thousand denarii from the public treasury. Oh, okay. Mm. Mm. So I don't know how that figures with uh, your figure. Ancient economy, it's... I was going to say... It's that all the over money. the shop. Yeah, that, that I'd sounds... Have to, I'd have to do some calculations and think about that. <laughs> yeah, I think Livy's given it to me in, like, the asses system, which yeah. is, like, the old school system. Which yeah. is fair enough. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what the equivalent and no. the type of denarii I have not been specified. So, no. I mean, are we talking silver or... Like, it's clearly <laughs> far too much math. <laughs> Too much maths and too much money. Exactly. Just got to give it away. <laughs> yeah. So, but what happens is that the ringleaders are discovered through mm. the informants. Yes. And they are then scourged and led away to be crucified. Oh, okay. So Livy just told me that they were arrested and punished. He doesn't get mm. specific with the punishments. But you know what? It doesn't surprise me about the crucifixion thing because that would be the kind of punishment I think you would expect. Well, this is where I went down a rabbit hole. Okay. Because then I was like, Roman crucifixion, what do we know and when do we know it? Yeah, like when did it start? I mean, it is something that you would use for people who are like traitors, right? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And obviously for writers like Dionysius of Halicarnassus and Livy, the big example is Spartacus. I was going to say. I mean, (laughs) I didn't want to be the one to bring it up, but he is. Now that I mentioned it. Not that he himself was crucified, I should say. That's a Kirk Douglas thing. We don't know what happens with Spartacus. He might have been crucified, but he might not have. No, but what we do have is the source from Appian. Mm. And Appian talks about what happens in the Spartacan revolt after the force is defeated, essentially, by the Romans. Oh, yeah, the survivors are crucified. Yeah, Yeah. and apparently Crassus 
rounds up about 6,000 survivors and mm. you've got this horrific imagery of them being crucified along the road from Capua to Rome. Yeah, it would be bleak. I mean, I can't. I honestly can't picture 6,000 people on a cross. I don't really want to. No. Um, but mathematically, I wonder how far apart the crucifixions have to be. Anyway, that is just a matter for mathematics, which I'm not going to delve Again, into. Again, I don't know why you keep going down these mathematics. No, no, I'm yeah, not a mathematician. Why, why bring them up? <laughs> I can't solve them for you. I don't like maths. <laughs> I don't do maths. Uh, I, it's bad enough that we have years that have numbers. So crucifixion, the big sort of ticket example mm. that our source material are probably thinking about and having their heads is that Spartacan revolt. Mm. But... That doesn't tell us anything about when crucifixion might have begun in the Roman world. No. Because clearly it wasn't a surprise then. No, but I, but I feel like it is something that – I feel like there is a sense that it is something you would only do, you know, it had to be like, – it was like a weighty punishment. It was, wasn't something you were handing out left, right and centre to just anybody who annoyed you or anything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. To imagine like thinking about it. Well, they're crucifying me, so I, I must be special. Well, no, not like that, but I just mean that I, I think sometimes, I guess because of the association of crucifixion with Jesus, I feel like sometimes people think, oh, Rome was so cruel and barbaric, which it was, but that they might have been handing crucifixions out like a lot more often than I think they maybe were. Mm, it's yeah. possible. Yeah. But there's also the sort of broader context of the ancient Mediterranean to True. think about, and this is part of of where I was sort of going with with some of this because yeah. corporeal punishment is by no means unusual in the ancient world. It's no. something that happens a lot. Even the scourging process that mm. happens to these characters in 419 prior to the crucifixion mm. is corporeal violence. Yeah. You know, they're beaten essentially until they almost can't handle it anymore. Yeah, and in that's public. With, that's with rods as well. Yes. Yeah, not just with fists, which you honestly, you wouldn't do because it would hurt you as well as hurting the person being punished. Yes. But yeah. Um, so scourging, being beaten with rods, mm. sometimes that's enough to kill the person. Mm. Sometimes they're scourged to death. Yeah. That doesn't seem to be the case in this example. Mm. But if we're talking about the broader Mediterranean, this idea of impalement mm. in various ways, the puncturing of major organs as a way to elicit pain and suffering. Ugh. Fixing people to stakes is something that has a variety of uses through sources that come through from Mesopotamia and Egypt and Greece. So when you say stakes, are we talking like large stakes? Like body like size? Like T-bone stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. No, no, I mean, but yeah, like are we talking like, when I think of stakes, I think I think of like, garden-sized stakes. Oh, you're thinking like like the vampire moment where the stake is going through the heart. Maybe. I mean, I just I don't think of something large, I guess is my point. Are we talking about like fixing into a stake? Like yeah. A, like a human-sized yeah. stake? Okay, yes. right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Large stakes, right. fixing people to the stake. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, that is slightly different from crucifixion, but you can see how they're heading in that direction. Oh, they're going there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so the Romans, they're not outliers uh, in terms of corporeal violence, mm. in terms of the ancient world, yeah. they do take it to new heights simply because they end up being so dominant in the region, yeah. I think. So they gain this reputation which others don't have the opportunity, terrible though that might be. Oh, and they, I mean, let's face it, they're also concerned about law and order and loyalty, which, I mean, as you say, anyone probably would be in their position, but I do feel like they're particularly equipped for it. <laughs> There's just something so bureaucratic about the Romans. Yes, <laughs> yes. And they're yeah. militaristic. They're militaristic, yeah. they're legalistic, yeah. and they're hugely superstitious. Mm. It's not a great combo. Mm. So we don't really have any firm idea about when crucifixion comes into like the Roman sort of practice. Yeah. But they are sort of drawing on a much broader context of this kind of corporeal violence which right. involves this kind of stuff. So right. they're not the first. They won't be the last. Is this our first mention of crucifixion as punishment? That's what I was trying to recall. And you didn't go back and listen to all of our previous episodes? I was just about to say, but we've been doing this podcast now <laughs> for 10 years. Shoddy research. Shoddy. And you know what? I can't remember what I said yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm digging deep here. 
I really feel like we haven't mentioned crucifixion before on this show. As in, uh, apart from obviously doing Spartacus, which is, even though we've done an earlier episode, it's later in time. Yeah, it's out of the chronological sequence. I'm not sure. I'm not going to put money on it because I don't trust my memory to that degree. But I felt like it was something when it came up in the source material, I was like, oh, this is something that, that is worth sort of doing a little bit of digging into. Yeah, like I feel like it's been mostly like the classic punishments. Oh, we've definitely had people being, you know, scourged before. We've had people mm. being scourged to death before. Mm. Um, certainly that. But yeah. yeah, I feel like this might be the first time that it's come up. Mm. <gasps> we Rome. welcome corrections on this point. <laughs> Rome entering a whole new phase of violence. Superfans to the archives. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's pretty much all I have okay. for 419 BCE. The rest of my source material is essentially different um, fragmented fasti. Okay. well, And that just sort of confirms the names that we've already got. I might be able to piece some things together for you. Look, I don't have a huge amount of additional detail. The Slave Conspiracy is definitely the headliner of this particular year. But I do have a bit of military action. Ooh. Yeah. Hello. So the Aquians once again enter the story. I mean, these guys have been quiet for a little while and all of a sudden they're just everywhere. I think they were <laughs> just waiting for the Volskians to get off their high horse and then they could sweep in for the victory. Perhaps, perhaps. So the Aquians are apparently gearing up for conflict again. <laughs> now, geographically, Dr. G, can you remind us where the Aquians are? Well, they come from the sort of southeastish mm. region of Rome. Yeah, now, I actually did, because this is a shorter year, I actually did try and look into the Aquians a little bit. Who are these people? I know. <laughs> the verdict seems to be that we really don't know much about them. <laughs> um, this confirms everything that we've talked about so far. <laughs> yeah. There are some archaeological remains, which I think you've talked about before. You know, we've got some fortifications in eastern Latium, so obviously in this region where we'd be expecting, as you say, in the area we'd be expecting... Which tells us, I suppose, that they were... Somebody was there. Somebody was there and they were trying to defend themselves, I suppose. It hints at military conflict, which is confirmed by our written sources, perhaps. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, we really don't know much about these people. <laughs> no. In the same way that we don't know heaps about the Volskians. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But I mean, there are, there are definitely groups in and around Rome. Yes. Well, I think that this... Bringing up the Aquians again, you know, Rome having to deal with like military action again. I think that this whole episode kind of reinforces what we've said before about this potentially false narrative that we're being presented in terms of the way that the Roman state developed in the sense that military tribunes with consular power, if such an office did exist, it seems that it is far more likely that it came about out of a necessity because you couldn't just have two guys if one of them needs to be with the armed forces and one of them needs to be in the city because if you're facing multiple enemies or, you know, you're, you're being attacked from multiple directions, you need more guys. And so it's, it does seem likely that this position, if it exists at this point in time, exists because Rome is potentially facing a lot more conflict than it has previously. Mm. But anyway, and that's because there is a new enemy. Uh-oh. Yeah. On top of the Aquians, and I, I love the way Livy says this, he says the Romans hear from reliable sources. <laughs> I'm just raising my eyebrows <laughs> yeah. for everybody listening at home, raising my eyebrows. Yeah. Reliable sources? Yeah. So Who's Livy gone to? <laughs> Who knows, but the word on the street, Dr. G, is that mm. there are some new enemies in town, and they're the Labacani. Oh, yes. They're going to come up for me. Next year. Okay. Well, th- I think there is a bit of blending happening at this point in time, which is what's been happening to me a lot in the last decade, that there's you know, a bit of confusion sometimes about when exactly something's happening. But What's even going on in yeah, the past? Exactly. But these guys are apparently teaming up with Rome's more traditional enemies. I presume that means people like the Aquians. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. New enemy enters the ring. Yeah. And again, we don't know much about these people. I really did try and find some information about them, but... It seems that all we really know is that they're also from somewhere in Latium. Oh, I'll tell you all about them next year. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, I've got potentially a location of somewhere near the Alban Hills as where they're from, but who knows. 
I don't really know if that's true. Anyway, so the Romans are actually kind of blasé about this whole situation because they're like, meh, the Aquians. Who cares? We fight them every year. I mean, you know, it's just same-o, same-o, right? And I'm like, too true, Romans, too true. <laughs> just send out the force, do what you need to do, and then we'll go home. Yeah, but they are concerned about these new enemies in that I think they want to, you know, initiate contact, establish relations, so they send off some envoys. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Hi, are you trying to kill us? Because if you are, we will crush you. Yeah. <laughs> Ask anyone. So... They send out these envoys. The envoys don't get the response that they're hoping for. (laughs) Well, there's a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The Labakani are somewhat noncommittal. It seems like they don't want to fully say, yes, we are going to come for you. But they also don't want to say, no, we're not. So... Yeah, look, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm feeling the way I feel and I'm just going to have to go with my vibes. So, guys, I don't really have an answer for you right now, yeah. but come back next week with your army. Yeah, and this is when Spurious Nordis is like, girl. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, they're definitely, I would say that, yeah, they're preparing for war, but they're not quite ready yet. So, they're just playing for time. How coy. Indeed. So, the Romans say, okay, fine, I see what you're doing here. They turn to their good friends, the Tusculans, the most adorable people in this region. Aww. I know. And they say to the Tusculans, can you just uh, keep an eye on those Watch people? them. <laughs> Watch them closely. <laughs> I don't trust those guys. <laughs> Not for a second. And that's where 419 ends for me, with the Tusculans watching the Labakani. <laughs> Getting out their small but very inefficient, because they don't have the technology yet, spy glasses. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Putting on monocles, like that's going to make any difference. Wearing Tusculans. their moustaches as they creep through. Through the undergrowth, being like, no one will ever know it's us. Quick, we need some trench coats. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So that's where it ends up for me. So I agree that we're going to hear more of the Labakani in 418 BCE. So before we get into the action, we have far more magistrates to deal with, I think, this year, Dr. G. Oh, it's a confusing time. It is. Rome's done its usual and started with some magistrates, thrown them all out, replaced yep. them with some others and it hoped is for very the best. confusing, yes, <laughs> yes. All right, well, tell me about the more traditional ones first. <laughs> we have three military tribunes with consular power. Correct. I don't know why I'm doubting you. Sorry. <laughs> um, excuse me. I did my research. Um, so, first of all, Lucius Sergius Fidinus, mm-hmm. very illustrious. Yes. So and so. Yeah. Uh, you might have heard of him before. I believe that he got that special last name from conquering Fidine. Mm. Or taking part, actually, or no. being Or being related to somebody who did that. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. Previously consul in 437 and 429. No, he is the guy. If he was consul in 437, he is the guy. It, that it's him. It is him. Uh-huh. It is the original. <laughs> the original and the best. Fidinus. <laughs> <laughs> and previously military tribune with consular power in 433 and 424. The last couple of decades have been good to him. Yeah, look, mm. so illustrious, this guy. So many mattresses well, under his belt. Fidine is just such a pain in the ass, or at least it used to be, so... Into having a role in bringing them to heel. Yeah, so we've got we've got this guy. Yeah, we also have Marcus Papirius Mugulanus, mm, a name I've definitely heard before. But this guy is new he to is our new. list. Yeah, yeah. But he's so from a family I've heard before. I've definitely heard of the Papirii before. Yeah, and I yeah. think we've had some Mugulianus as well. Oh, such an unattractive name. It reminds me actually of like a. Every time I hear it, I think of a really meaty Italian stew, mm. Mm, which I like, but the name I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's one of those names that ends with anus, so it's it's always a bit of a <laughs> bit Never of a attractive, yeah. yeah, a bit of a killer. Yeah. Um. So he's new. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Mugulanus. Mm-hmm. Let's hope the year goes well for you. <laughs> and then we have Gaius Servilius Auxilla <gasps> on his second consecutive 
military tribune with consular power. Slightly unusual. Slightly unusual. Yeah. Yeah. He's in the middle of a streak. Mm. Mm. Now, do we want to talk about the other magistrates or do we want to introduce them? Well, I think it's worth introducing them. Okay. Okay. Um, mostly because this is going to give you a foreshadowing of how this year is going to go. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. <laughs> we have a dictator. Ah, yes. <laughs> It is Quintus, Servilius, Priscus, Fidinus. They're related potentially? No. Not well, I mean, I think they seem to have gotten the Fidinus cognomen, mm. probably through maybe similar military yeah. prowesses. I know I said it and then I'm like, wait, it's, wait not, a minute. The, it's not in the right place for yeah. them to be related. <laughs> All of their names though, yeah. um, their, their Normans and things like that mm. suggest that these come from very different families. Yeah, So definitely. there's clearly a legacy of issues with Fidene mm. um, that are coming through with Which the cognomens. we know, <laughs> we know, but we can see it, yeah, we can see it in the names, yeah. And then we also have the master of the horse. Naturally, the dictator's sidekick, he, the Robin to his Batman, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's an upgrade mm. for our man who's on his streak, yep. Gaius Servilius Auxilla. <laughs> he's just raking it in. <laughs> Nay! <laughs> he's on his horse and he's ready to go. Yeah. And there are also uh, censors this year, mm. one of whom we have the name of. Who is someone mm. we've already talked about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this, or is it? No, I don't think it is. It's somebody different. Oh, really? Okay, let me redo that then. <laughs> Fences, you say? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Lucius Papyrus Mugalanus, another Mugalanus, but oh, a different one. A different one. Yeah. Okay, confusing. Yeah, <laughs> probably brothers. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, they've got to be related. The only difference is. The Prynomen. Uh, that's why I got yeah. That's why I was confused. I was like, wait a second, Papirius, Italian stew man. <laughs> what are you doing back here? How can you be serving two officers at once? Uh, you do what you gotta do. Mm, all so right. this suggests that the Romans are not only counting the population mm. uh, for taxation and various other social cultural purposes, but there's also some kind of military or some other kind of issue that crops up this year. Mm, definitely. All right, so do you want me to spin my narrative? Please do. My narrative web. <laughs> okay, so the ambassadors from Tusculum arrive, telling the Romans that in an, I don't, I don't know, like in a couple of months maybe, I don't know how long it's passed that we're talking about here, but finally the Labakani are ready for war. <laughs> I've seen some pointy sticks and I'm pretty sure they're going to run at somebody soon. Oh no, they've gone further than that. They've actually started attacking various areas in the countryside in the near area with the Aquians by their side. Oh, Treachery. I see. Treachery. <laughs> so we raiding, a, hey? Yeah, All definitely right. some raiding going on. Mm-hmm. And so we have a joint Aquian Labakani force. Mm-hmm. And they have decided to camp on no other place than Mount Olgidas, perhaps the most named mount <laughs> in our Republican era. Very close to Tusculum. Yes, but I, I don't know. I don't know why. I guess just because it's in that local area, and everything's very small scale. But I feel like I have sent, said that location more than any other, and it's always because someone's camping on it. I think it's because it's a relatively low hill with a good outlook. It's definitely not the highest hill of no. these particular hills. No, but it's handy. <laughs> Very strategic. Yeah. So the Romans decide, well, this is enough. This is all I needed to hear. And they officially declare war on the Labakani. Well. Mm. Now, oh, Dr. G, the Romans, well, some of the Romans, I should say, I shouldn't tar them all with the same brush, don't really come out of the next of detail very well because the senate say well we're going to need to send two of our military tribunes to deal with these people because we're now officially at war and one of you needs to stay in rome clearly to look after things here okay so they're going to have two go out and one stay that's fine they've got three you would think that would be fine the problem is the three men start arguing with each other about who is going to go out and who is going to stay at home well yeah because you can't win a triumph when you stay at home you can't And so they are trying to do this by bragging about how amazing they are militarily. 
this is not going to go well for the new guy on the block. No, they're like, oh my God, I'm the best general there is. I mean, I'm so military, I sleep in my full armor. I crushed Fidene, crushed them <laughs> underneath my boot heel. I only speak in battle cries. That's how military I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to try to do my Xena war cry because it's been too many years. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But the message is clear to the people who are observing these arguments. Clearly, looking after Rome itself is seen as a, and I quote, thankless and ignoble task. Nobody wants it. Well, I mean, you can't win a triumph. <laughs> you can't, but I the honour, the honour. There is no <laughs> honour if there's no triumph. <laughs> well, the senators don't agree with you. I'm getting into my patrician like outlook in uh, life. I'm going like, to say the what vibe. Do I, what do I live for? I live for military glory. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I was going to say the vibe in here is getting uncomfortable. But anyway, the Senate are gobsmacked. They can't believe that three grown-ass men are having this debate amongst themselves and not just, you know, manning up. I mean, okay, you can't win a triumph, but they are already... Military tribunes with consular power. I mean, place is a paper rock, guys. Yeah, <laughs> not hard. <laughs> Should go back in time and tell them about that game. Anyway, so this is where Quintus Servilius decides to step in and put an end to things. <laughs> yeah, he says, uh, "Listen, you three, you have a no respect, no respect at all." <laughs> <laughs> Does he sound like that? <laughs> well, it, you know, it's just the uh, it's just the no respect line that got me. I was like, interesting. <laughs> I felt like you know I had to. Yeah, fair enough. It. Fair enough. Now this guy, Quintus Servilius, he is the dad of the hat trick dude. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so he's like, look, this isn't the way that we do things here. This isn't the way that the Republic works. I am going to step in and use my father's authority to put an end to all of this. Huh. Yeah. So he says, I'm going to put my son in charge of the city. Stop this mess. Okay. So he makes Guy Suilius Auxilla, his son, master of the horse, and says, you stay home. Yeah. I'm going out to fight. Just to stop the fighting. It's like, I can't take it anymore. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. And then he says... So the Senate calls for a dictator and they decide that Quintus Servilius Priscus Fidenus should be the guy and he immediately sets one of the military tribunes over the other two, essentially. I'm not up to that point yet. <laughs> you I'm, jumped ahead. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. I was just trying to figure out what's going on. No, no. Okay, okay. Let's rewind. Okay, so... Quintus Civilius steps in and he's put his son in charge of the city. He's like, you're the one that's staying behind. The other two are going out to combat. Job done. Because as dad, I can tell you, son, you're grounded. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And he says, I only hope that those who are eager to make the campaign may conduct it with more consideration and harmony than they display in seeking it. In other words, you're pretty keen to be a general, so you better be damn good at it. <laughs> Now, they decide that they're not going to conduct a levy on the whole population. Yeah, they decide that they're going to use just 10 tribes chosen by lot for the levy. From those tribes, the two military tribunes selected the men of military age to serve with them. Okay, so they're rounding up their forces at this point in time. Okay, so they must not feel that threatened. They're not levering the whole population. Well, this might be stemming back to something I said from 419 where the Romans are feeling a bit blase about the Aquians mm. by this point in time. But we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, now, obviously there's a lot on the line. These guys have really been bragging hard about how amazing they are. But unfortunately, their rivalry is not over. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the feuding that had started amongst the three military tribunes now continues between the two military tribunes and it just gets worse. Boys, boys, boys. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> They're each keen to be like the dominant one. They can't share power, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> no, I'm the alpha. No, no, I'm the alpha. Yeah, exactly. They basically, oh, guys. they cannot agree on anything. They're just each pushing their own views and their own ideas and the hatred is obviously just building. And even their lieutenants 
can't take it anymore. They're like, oh my God, enough, you guys. This is getting ridiculous. What we're going to agree is that you each are going to hold supreme command on alternate days. All right. Yeah. Okay. It sounds kind of reasonable. I mean, it's a bit like a consulship. It, it is it is kind of a bit like that. However, the people back in Rome find out that this is what's happening, that like the fighting got to such an extent that the lieutenants had to step in and be like, right, clearly you guys can't work together, so you're going to hold power on like alternate days. And look, I guess there is a risk with a military campaign with that being the system. <laughs> There's no obviously continuity, particularly if they actually do have such different ideas that they can't accept what each other's saying. It does sound like a recipe for a Roman defeat. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So this is where Quintus Civilius gets involved again. Yeah, he's like, all right, I think we need to ask the gods to protect the city because I am foreseeing that this is going to end really badly for us, like has happened previously with feuding commanders at places like they, and I can't have that happen again. (laughs) So he tells his son, go out and enlist more men and get them ready because I'm sensing that this is going to go badly and we're going to need to act quickly. So we basically need to be prepared. We need to have a backup ready to go. Okay. Now, we have on one day, Sergius, one of our military tribunes, being in charge. Okay. The Romans are in a bad strategic location to start with. Okay. So it's not beginning well. The Aquians start pretending like they're scared, being like, oh, my God, oh, my God, and retreating to their rampart. And the Romans had basically fallen for the trick, okay, in, I guess pursuing them and getting into this, like, bad location. And so that's why they ended up there. And so they found themselves being attacked by the Aquians, being chased down the hill into, like, a, a sloping valley. And it must be pretty bad because lots of Romans are not only just being chased, but they're actually, like, tumbling down the hill. And because they're falling over and, like, I guess they're going, you know, ass overhead. It's going to be picked off, you yeah. know. Yeah, well, exactly. They're being slaughtered because they're not even able to stand upright because in trying to run away, they're just, like, tripping over themselves, basically. They only manage to hang on to their camp by, like, the skin of their teeth that particular day. So, as predicted, the military campaign is not going very well. <laughs> so, the next day, the Roman camp is almost entirely surrounded. And they're like, I think we have to abandon it because if we don't leave now, we're going to be completely surrounded and probably slaughtered. Now, the shame, Dr. G, the shame. It's intense. Well, yeah, there's kind of that moment of no return. If your camp is completely surrounded Mm. by the enemy, there is a point at which you will be overcome by them. Yeah, like so, you have to be really quite strategic because there is a closing window of opportunity to leave the camp yeah. when that sort of military formation is starting to happen around your camp, and you haven't been able to like secure an exit passage yet. Exactly. Yeah. So the generals and lieutenants and the people who have the standards, they try to get out and they head for Tusculum, and it seems like the rest of the armed forces are just kind of like fleeing through the fields, whichever direction they can. It, it obviously seems like the Roman forces are in like full chaos at this point in time there's no real order to it and so some of them make it to Tusculum but some of the guys that are just like sort of randomly running through the fields eventually manage to make it back to Rome and when they get there they're like oh my god it has all gone south guys it's a terrible defeat we're in real trouble and they're exaggerating it and making it sound well I don't know. Are, are they, they exaggerating, exaggerating it? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I guess just run 20 kilometres home yeah. and they're not I, feeling the best. <laughs> I guess they're maybe a little uncertain about whether the camp maybe, you know, like whether there was anybody there to be like slaughtered when it was, you know, like when it was obviously left to be captured and that sort of thing. You know, whatever it is they're saying, it's not clear, but they make out that it's a really, really, really terrible defeat. So maybe they say, like, everyone's been slaughtered except for me. Oh, and that guy as well. (laughs) So I I don't think they have any idea what's really happened to them as a whole force. Yeah. So it's bad. They're lacking military intelligence. Yeah. They haven't been on the ground for a while. They've been running for a long time. They don't know how things (laughs) are going on. They don't know what's going on. Yeah. Exactly. Now, luckily, the Romans are not too disturbed by this news. They're like, it's okay. We knew this was going to happen. <laughs> as soon as you two started bickering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're like, it's okay. We've already got some men standing by. And Sibelius had got in touch with the lesser magistrates, which I presume means the Aediles and the Quaestors and that sort of thing, made sure that the city remained calm 
Okay. He had also sent out <laughs> scouts. I'm sorry, I just have these visions of everybody like popping like lavender essential oil on their pillows. We're <laughs> like, just stay calm. Just stay calm. <laughs> We've been here before, guys. It's okay. It's okay. Just breathe. I'm just going to lead us through a guided meditation. <laughs> you can come and collect your paper bag for breathing calmly anytime you like from the Senate House. <laughs> yeah, so... Civilius has sent out scouts as well. They've all come back and told him that, don't worry, the generals and the rest of the army and the standards are all at Tusculum, so they're safe. So the people are feeling actually kind of good, which seems weird because clearly things aren't going well for them. And this is when Quintus Civilius Priscus is appointed dictator by senatorial decree. I see. Yes. Okay, so it was just his sort of like octoritas and patrician persuasion earlier in the year that enabled him to sort of settle this three-way dispute between the military tribunes. Yeah, and also the fact that he's obviously got, um, you know, the good pedigree in terms of, you know, previous leadership experiences. People trust him. He's not like an unknown quantity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and also, I, he definitely he definitely had a role in crushing Fidene, and that hence his his cognomen. Um, and so, yeah, I think people are are trusting him already. Yeah, they've taken his advice already, and now he just seems like an oracle because he foresaw all of this happening, and because of you know all the things that he suggested and put in place. They now don't have to panic about what would have been seems a military disaster. So that he just seems the most wise man that they've ever met because he foresaw all the problems. And this is why obviously his son ends up as his master of the horse, his you know, his aide, because he had made sure that his son was the military tribune who'd stayed behind in the city. So he's available. Very convenient. Isn't it just <laughs> mm. Is this an evil plan? <laughs> I think it might be. Yeah. So sorry, then you can bring in your additional detail now that he is dictator. <laughs> now that he is dictator. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure that I've got heaps of additional detail, but mm. I'll give you what I have. Yeah. So we've got the Fasti Capitolini, which just lists the three uh, military tribunes, mm-hmm. but also then gives us some fragmented parts of the names of the dictator, mm-hmm. uh, the Magister Equitum, mm. Master of the Horse, yeah. and the Censor. We also have Diodorus Siculus. Mm-hmm letting us know about three military tribunes. Right. Which he gets mostly right. Impressive. So, yeah, very impressive. Yeah. Um, this Servilius Priscus business, this name or this combination of names has also prompted people to think again about the dictator who is around when the Feliscans are doing their thing. Ah. And this idea of the standard bearer and throwing the standard into the hostile enemy. So uh, maybe that is something that comes up for you, but maybe it's not. I'm not sure. I probably should have looked into it, actually. I don't I don't yeah. take this piece of evidence. This is from Frontinus. I don't take this as being particularly um, on point right now. Okay. It's, it's a reference because we've got a Servilius Priscus, but I think we've utilised this piece of evidence in another moment in time previously mm. yeah i Back definitely remember five yeah yeah i definitely remember that story about the guy like being like go get the standards to inspire <laughs> the people <laughs> i then have another reference from diodor's seculus for the same year but right at the end he mm. spends all of his time talking about uh, the syracusian war okay so he's very keen about greek history at this point in time yeah but he does mention that in italy the romans went to war with the aquii and re- reduced Labici by siege. So uh, the Labicani. Mm, they are from Labici. Yeah. They are from yeah. Labici or yeah. Labicum or mm. Lavicum. It's sounding more and more like a lady's body parts every mm. time you say it. <laughs> <laughs> An ancient city of Latium. Yeah. <laughs> so as you noted, its lo- exact location is disputed, but okay. it's thought to be part of the Alban Hills. Oh. So that southeast hilly region. Yep. Very nice. That's where Tusculum is. Near the Aquians. Yeah, that's yep. where Alba Longa is. Yep. Uh, there's lots of cool things around there. It's mm-hmm. where... Mount Ogaidum is... Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this is a very localised fight. Very, yeah. very. But these guys are not completely unknown to us. Okay. There are a couple of references way back. Oh. Yeah. I don't remember ever talking about them before. <laughs> 
So in the 490s. Okay. Yeah. That is going way back. Way back. Yeah. The early, early days of the Republic. So in like 2015 for us. (laughs) (laughs) So Dionysius of Halicarnassus actually records Libici as one of the Latin cities that joins into an alliance against Rome. Well, that makes sense. I was going to say, I bet they were part of the whole Lake Regulus. Yes, they were. Yeah. The infamous battle mm. at Lake Regulus. So they've just been see- like seething away ever since. They have. <laughs> you know, first of all, they wanted to reinstate the Tarquin dynasty and now they're still pissed off. Mm. So it's not like the Romans don't know about them. There right. is like 29 cities listed in this group that ally themselves against Rome in the 490s. They're obviously just not like the largest one. Well. Or the most powerful. I mean, I don't know. Dionysius <laughs> lists them in alphabetical order. Ah. <laughs> so he doesn't avoid uh, irritating anyone? <laughs> Certainly uh, nobody uh, is given preference in that list. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and then we also see them hooking up with Coriolanus. Ooh. Yeah. So Coriolanus takes his army and this is when he's leading the Volscian forces and he's right. like defected from Rome. Okay. Um, and... He marches against Libici. Oh, okay. Yeah. As part of a Volscian force. Yeah. Ah, so the Volscians aren't into them. No. <laughs> I'm not into them. <laughs> but the Aquians are. They are, yeah. <laughs> so we do have this sense in which there is a sort of uh, a potted history mm. of the Labakani having a relationship generally against Rome, mm. but also maybe not fond of the Volscians either. Yeah, yeah. Ah, the power dynamics of this early, early time. <laughs> mm, and that is literally all of the detail I have. All right, well, I don't, year. <laughs> I don't have a lot more. So all I can say is that Livy says that some other sources, names unknown, <laughs> have said that it's actually Servilius Ahala who was made the master of the horse. Now, that doesn't stack up to me. I feel like it's far more likely that a dad would pick his son. Well, maybe. Although having yeah. said that, this auxilla cognomen has mm. been a source of confusion every time it gets mentioned. And the ahala, auxilla, and the, yeah. And the ahala is yeah. one of the potential rereadings of it. Mm. So fair enough, fair enough. Well, Livy acknowledges. Possible. Yeah, he acknowledges the difficulty. Anyway, so the original Sevilius, the dad, <laughs> he heads out with his fresh troops and he also calls on anyone who's managed to flee to Tusculum and he sets up a camp a mere two miles from the enemy. Now, this is where things start to get a little confusing for me. It seems like I'm kind of blending into 417 a little bit here. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but certainly we're gearing up for a campaign with Sevilius as dictator at the head. And the Aquians are overconfident because they've done so well against the Romans. I was going to say, they just had a pretty solid victory where the Romans ran away. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, they also think that the Romans have suffered a terrible defeat and they're not anticipating Sir Willius's organisational skills and his ability to tell the future. (laughs) I don't know. Is it organisation or by holding back the whole of the Roman military force in the first instance was the reason why they failed? Hmm. Well, no. (laughs) It's the arguing. It's definitely the arguing. (laughs) I'm just putting it out there. Imagine if you'd turned up with a proper army, Rome, the first time round. And maybe if this Sewilius guy was like, you know, Mm. like thinking about things, you know, realistically, wouldn't it have been better to just win it once? True, but I think that Livy is quite heavily suggesting that it's the leadership that's the problem, not the size of the army. Well, guys, it's the quality, Dr. G. You need to sort out that before you go to war. <laughs> well, this is exactly it. So Everything's easier from hindsight, and I, as a historian, can attest to it. No, well, I think, I think they held back the entire army because I think there's meant to be that sort of, look, there's going to be a problem, we're going to need some reserves <laughs> kind of sensation from the beginning. Don't give these losers all of the truth. No, exactly. <laughs> May, look, maybe they maybe they were known before this for not liking each other or being argumentative. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, so I'm not going to go much further. I'm just going to leave it on the cliffhanger of the Aquians are getting sloppy and careless, and now we have a dictator in charge, which means there's no arguments or it's death. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So I think with that in mind, Dr. G, it might be time for the partial pick. 
All right, Dr. G, what is the partial pick all about? The partial pick is where we rate Rome. Mm. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> out of t- five categories. Five in, categories. Yeah. yeah, they're capable of getting fifty golden eagles if they really play their cards right. Yep. Five categories: ten eagles each. Mm-hmm. Military clout is our first category. Okay. Well, in terms of what they've actually accomplished, it's not good. No, I think it might be a zero. That's yeah. a loss. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a hint that it might not be so bad, but that's not enough for some eagles. No, no. you would actually have to have done something. No. <laughs> yeah, what we've heard is that they ran away yeah. and, and tumbled down the hill. And were too concerned with their own personal reputation and octoritas to actually get it together. And had their camp surrounded by the enemy. Yeah. Not All good. bad. Not good. Zero. Yeah. I'd give them minus eagles yeah. right now if I could. Well, the only thing I think... Like, allowing them to hang on to their dignity at all is the fact that they at least have the standards and they didn't get killed. And that's not enough for an eagle. (laughs) Oofed. Mm. (laughs) All right, so that's a solid zero. That is a zero. Diplomacy is our second category. Well, look, they did try and send envoys to the beachy. (laughs) Is that enough? (laughs) They tried to avoid war. They only declared war once... The Aquians and the Libici had attacked. I mean, we really do need to know more about how those envoys behaved. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> I'm not going to say the Romans have a great reputation with this kind of stuff, but at the same time, we don't have evidence to suggest that they were awful. Okay. I don't know that they wanted a war at this point in time, to be honest. I'll give them a one. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Our third category is expansion. Well, that's definitely a zero. No, if yeah. anything, things yeah. have contracted. Mm. And our fourth category is mm. weirdos. How manly mm. have they been? Well, I feel like Civilius is on the cusp of doing something, but I don't know if he's done enough yet. I think there's something to be said for those military tribunes arguing amongst themselves about who goes out because they want the glory. They want the weirdos. Yeah, the <laughs> glory is interconnected with weirdos. Yeah, but they do such a terrible job of it. I don't know if they get eagles for that. Just wanting it isn't enough. (laughs) Everybody wants it. (laughs) Not everybody gets it. (laughs) Just trying to put it in context before we give it a score of Mm. zero. (laughs) Yes. I think it's a zero. I think it's a zero. (laughs) I mean, it's been a mess. I've considered it carefully. (laughs) Yeah. And our last category is the citizen score. Well, again... I'm going to say it's probably not a great time to be a citizen because you've got slaves conspiring to kill you. <laughs> Justly, probably, but nonetheless, it's not a great time in that sense. Now, they don't succeed, I'll grant you that, but that can't be good. Can't be good feeling. No, one doesn't feel quite as safe uh, with their enslaved population. If uh, No, and presumably they've lost a lot of slaves out of this whole thing. If At least the ringleaders who got scourged and crucified. Yeah, okay, so there's that. Then you've got this military defeat, which doesn't sound good. And the only good thing I can say about it is that you're not panicking because you're <laughs> being told not to panic. I was going to say, does the lavender oil? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the paper bags and the lavender oil are enough to actually get an eagle. I mean, that's a real shame because... Somebody in the city was working hard to make sure everybody was calm. <laughs> well, okay. I Maybe mean, there's, see, some, there's some great mental health strategies happening right now. But is being told to be calm when there's been a military defeat, is that actually meaning that it's great to be a citizen of Rome? I mean, would you rather be panicking? Well, yeah, but like I'm saying, is it enough to get an eagle? Like, no, I wouldn't. But is it enough to get an eagle? I think the bigger problem, I don't think it is. I agree okay, with you. Okay. Yeah, I'm mm. just arguing for the yeah. sake of it. I think the bigger problem mm. is that there has been what essentially sounds like two levies of the population. There's been mm. the partial levy for the initial military yep. array yes. in 418. Yeah. And then there has been the secret or the additional, the dictatorship levy. Yeah. That happens to raise the additional force that's going to, that is on the cusp of doing something now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the citizens have been pressed twice. They have, but on the other hand, I feel like, I mean, the whole reason why Civilius obviously got his son to hold back 
some of the forces is because he knew that there was going to be a problem between these military tribunes. And presumably that means he's might, he might have also saved some lives, some people who didn't get killed. Because like definitely there are some I mean, we can't point. give people points for hypotheticals. No, no, no. But I mean, I think that lives probably have been saved here. I mean, there were a lot of guys who were like Jack and Jilling it down that hill. So <laughs> um, I'm not going to give them points. Those lives weren't saved. I'm not going to get. Yeah, no, I'm not going to give them points for it. But I'm just saying that, like, I think holding back some of the forces was actually a good idea in mm. in retrospect. So, but we're still giving them a zero. We're still giving them a zero. <laughs> yeah. So that means, Doctor G, that the Romans have finished for two years together. On a grand total of one golden eagle. And even that eagle was given begrudgingly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rome. Oh. Not showing your best. I know. Like, who would have thought? Like, I honestly we didn't think. We gave them two years, so they at least had a chance. Yeah. God. Wow. <laughs> I really didn't think the early Republic was going to have so many grim moments. We are not at the height of Rome's power yet. No. It's pretty clear. <laughs> no, but I mean, even internally, like, come on, Rome, get it together. <laughs> <laughs> Love and oil. Spread it everywhere. Indeed. <laughs> Bathe in it. <laughs> oh, dear. I will be till next time because I just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> will Servilius manage to extricate the Romans from this difficult situation? Will the Libici hold their ground? Girl. <laughs> Tune in for the next edition of The Partial Historian. Indeed. And before we sign off, I'd like to give a special shout out to the Bella Vista Hotel, who have a free podcast studio that we are using today. It's very exciting. Very fancy. We feel very professional right now. We do. It took us ages to figure out how to figure out how to use this equipment. It's like a proper studio. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll catch you next time, yeah, Dr. Rat. We will. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Partial Historians. We would like to send a huge thank you to all of our supporters across our various social medias and particularly to our Patreon supporters. This episode, we're giving a big shout out to the following patrons. Lex, Space Floozy, Brianna, Maple Leaf Aussie, Dr. Kate, Jonathan, AJ, Sheila and Marie Eve. Thank you to you and to all of our other supporters. We look forward to having you with us next episode.